This episode of Modern Manhood is brought to you by ATV. Now, a lot of guests that we've had at Modern Manhood have been entrepreneurs or business owners, and I think it's a brave thing to start your own business or to put yourself out there like that. It's it's something that's hard, and uh, and I can tell you that ATV does got your back. They offer mentorships, workshops, and networking opportunities with their ATV Entrepreneur Center, along with just their regular banking information. So you can learn more at atb.com slash listen. That's once again, atb.com slash listen. Welcome back to another episode of Modern Manhood, an exploration of modern masculinity and the way it shapes us in the modern world. I'm your host, Carmen Vijayas. Modern Manhood is part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV, and it's also broadcast on gradio.ca, in which you can find other awesome, amazing shows. This show is supported by the APN and by generous Patreons, like, for instance, Chris Corley, who donated. You can, and same thing as you can, you can donate as little as $2 a month to help this show keep the lights on. You can do the same by going to patreon.com slash modernmanpod. In the wake of the Harvey Weinstein scandal and the cases of people like Kevin Spacey or Danny Masterson, Brett Ratner, etc., powerful men in a lot of places are not having the best look right now. There seems to be a cultural revolution in which society has finally, and I mean finally, not accept powerful men to abuse their power, and the court of public opinion has ruled with a huge, mighty fist. People who have been abused are being heard, and the reckoning for these guys have finally come. It seems like we're finally turning a tide, doesn't it? Well, now comes the hard part. What do we do with all these truths that we're hiding underneath the rugs? And especially if these truths are relating to you, a guy, or to guys in general. In the wake of the Weinstein saga, there has been a lot of talk of what guys can do and the rules of guys to be quote-unquote better. To be honest, and I, and I truly believe this, to get the desired result we want, which I think is to live in a society without abuse, it's a lot more complicated and a lot less straightforward than just, quote, call out other men and, quote, don't be sexist. I mean, like, those are important things, but that takes a lot of unpacking to do, and there's a lot of complicated analysis that need to be... um digged out before we can actually start doing that. And even though those responses are good-natured and I think are in the right vein, um, there's a lot more to help men be their best. And it's going to take all of us. I reached out to Jeff Pereira, an activist and public speaker out in Toronto that has been working for anti-violence projects out there for like seven or eight years now. Um, I reached out to him before all this Harvey Weinstein thing surfaced. But it's interesting about what we talked about because it's very much on the vein of this topic, the topic that I just mentioned right now, how men can be a better ally or just help each other out in the cases of these incidences and basically where do men stand in all of this. It's mostly a a chat about reconciliation. And we spoke about how we came to do the work that we do, the kind of anti-violence work that we do. Um, and we touched upon his father. We talked about safe spaces. And also we 
mentioned the tragedy of December 6, the Polytechnic massacre in Montreal. It was it was a really awesome conversation with Jeff, and I actually felt lighter afterward. And it was it was so good that I couldn't stop talking. <laughs> That's why I'm splitting this up into two episodes. So this is part one with Jeff Pereira. That kind of you know, as men in particular, I think it, in us trying to, um, you know, whether it's the you know dismantle mas- toxic masculinity or yeah. or try to recognize these kind of things within us. It's it's amazing. Like even in doing this work, you kind of realize a lot of this stuff is still programmed in me. As far as you know, the the conversation or the work becoming territorial, yeah. or um, like I recognize, you know, you're you know, you're an organization or you're a team or you're an individual. You have to look out for yourself and do things in your best interest. But it's also recognizing that t- part of it is rupturing those kind of toxic ideas of me me dominate Mm -hmm. gimme gimme versus like how can we build culture community uh build a brotherhood and extend that to everybody you know Mm -hmm. and like support each other like genuinely like that's what i love about the next gen men guys i think that i think that they genuinely they want to see everyone do well totally you know what i mean like they want to it's not about we want to like they obviously need to nurture themselves and do Mm -hmm. things they need to do to grow and be able to make ends meet and make it sustainable and realistic but it's also like not like it's us winning at your expense. It's like everyone can do well, exactly, and everyone can do better. Anyway, yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> but I think in particular as men, like there's there's a real conversation to be had around our fragility as men, and yeah, um, you know, and to have it in a way with this, you know, I, I think it's important to. I, I am one to kind of. It's important to kind of not take yourself too seriously and take the piss out of things, but also to at the same time take it seriously. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like. Like we can talk about stuff and kind of joke about it, but it doesn't mean that I don't I don't care about it. Exactly. So I can joke about the fact that I'm I do have insecurities around certain things, but it's also that's something to work on. That's something that I want to build my um, capacity of caring for myself. And we talk about self care. So it's like I'm not making like I'm all about self deprecating jokes, but it's also like not that it goes into this thing where I'm like genuinely like. You know, feeling that kind of I hate myself, I'm yeah. horrible, like the internal voice. It's more of that kind of loving speech that you want to practice, starting with yourself. Because if you can't, you know, you can't love anyone else if you don't love yourself. Absolutely. And not that kind of greedy love, but that kind of just nurturing, growing kind of love yeah. you want to show yourself, right? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Anyway, yeah, no, yeah, awesome. no it's, so good, it's perfect. Um, okay, so um, first question I have for you, like... Um, mm. Tell me why you got started doing the work that you that that you've been doing for the last few years here in uh, in Toronto. Well, I'll tell you, like um, the 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 not so long, not so short version of the story is, uh, you know, when I was growing up, uh, my father was physically abusive towards my mom. My my parents came to Canada from England. They're originally from Sri Lanka, and uh, my father had a lot of troubles adjusting to a lot of things and. Uh, one of the ways he handled it was through physical violence. And for the first few years that I was in existence, that's what the, what it was. And I was witness of it. And I wasn't, I didn't receive any kind of physical violence myself, but um, I was witness to it. Mm-hmm. And seeing that ruptured my relationship with him, with my father. He carried, I know he carried a lot of shame and guilt around, um, you know, actually the way I'll tell the story, let me tell you through this way really quick. Mm-hmm. Have you seen The Godfather? I think most people yeah. have seen The Godfather. And it's a classic film. And it's it's kind of this example of, 
a real example of manhood. Like, if you remember earlier on the film, one of the people comes to the Godfather on his daughter's, you know, the day of his daughter's marriage, uh, and asks the Godfather to help me out. Like, I want to, he's, he's an actor. He's a, a well-known, famous actor. Kind of like a modern-day version of, like, I guess, like a Justin Timberlake, you know? Like, right. a, a singer who can also act and is a heartthrob. But he's been out of work for a long time. and He's not popular. And in the film, you remember the scene, like, he comes to the Godfather hat in hand, like, I need this role in this film, Godfather. If I don't get it, I I don't know what to do. And he's almost in tears. And, you know, Don Corleone gets up and, you know, grabs him by the shoulders and shakes him around. He's like, and he slaps him in the face. He goes, you could act like a man. Slaps him, right? And he's like, Mm -hmm. he's literally trying to slap that feminine uh, energy out of him. I mean, it's a great example of this kind of like the codes of what being a man, the the toxic codes are. So anyway, if you watch this film, you'll know that... um, there's a scene in the film where the son, Michael Corleone, goes to the bathroom. He's, he's at a restaurant having dinner with the chief of police and, and, a, and a strong member or a large member of one of the rival mafia families. And he goes to the bathroom to get a gun uh, and he executes, comes back and he you know, assassinates these two people, leaves the restaurant. And as a kid growing up, I always thought that's when the movie ended. It's only when we got older and you know, in the house, like when you back in the day, not so much anymore, because now no one watches TV together. <laughs> but back in the day, it was always a fight to who held the remote, yeah. who owned the remote. Yeah. And it was always, you know, dads traditionally hold the remote. Yeah. Um, and so we got to the age where we started taking the remote. We held the remote. Mm-hmm. And I remember that film came on The Godfather and my dad left the room after that scene when the shooting happened. And I realized that the film keeps going. And I didn't understand why, but then as we're watching, I realized that, the, you know, coming up shortly, if you remember, um, the Don's daughter is married to a guy who's abusive. Right. And there's a very ultra-violent scene of her pregnant. They're having an argument in, in their apartment, and they're newlyweds, and he just takes his belt, and he chases her around the house and is savagely beating her. And he left the room because he didn't want to be around for that. Because I think that was too close to home for him. Mm. And for me growing up, it was just a reminder of the kind of trauma that uh, he, and the stress and the, the, the shame he carried over his past behavior. Like he stopped being physically violent and was just verbally violent and, you know, derogatory towards everyone um, as, as the years went on. Right. But uh, I, for me, that was really one of those moments where, um, it, you know, it, it kind of, cemented it for me and growing up i had trouble having relationships with men uh and boys you know my my peers i had my friendships with women i had guy friends but they were really surface surface level convers like conversations and interactions and uh, that went into my teens and into my adulthood and i realized that this conversation of the roles and the ways we um act out our gender it affects everything in our lives from our relationship with the environment you know, it's a very, like, it's a dominate, take from, not nurture and give. A 2011 study in the journal Global Environmental Change shows that, quote, conservative white males are significantly more likely than others to endorse denialist views. The cast of populist masculinity celebrities that support Trump has also been keen to embody this view. For example, Alex Jones's publication Infowars ran numerous articles such as globalist cucks triggered after Trump puts America before Paris Agreement. The masculinity element here is not just implicit, but explicit, with the use of the emasculating term cuck and the fact that the article is illustrated with a picture of Trump giving a hand gesture indicating that someone has a tiny penis. 
uh, our relationship with each other, our relationship in, as far as friendships, our ability to have relationships with work uh, teammates, and romantic sexual relationships, and more more importantly, our relationship with ourselves or a lack of one. Right. You know, so for me, um, growing up, that was that was always in the back of my head, and, and, and realizing this is an issue that affects all of us. And it's only in my adulthood when I was a student at Ryerson University working at their human rights office, uh, and I started working on issues of domestic violence, uh, gender-based violence, sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to a a victims of violence panel and, you know, the student union organized it with my office that as as a student working at the human rights office. And there were only two men in the room. It was the president of the students union and myself. Uh, So you could argue that we were both there for like, quote unquote, work. You know what I mean? Like, so I looked around the room and I remember being like, how do we get more men? to show up for these conversations about survivors. I mean, men are survivors too. Yeah. Um, but you know, this conversation, men just run away and, 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 and again, what are the barriers or the reasons that they, their internal barriers or reasons they hide from this conversation. So I quickly started asking questions, finding out who was doing what on campus. And I organized a, um, a informal kind of a coalition, a white ribbon chapter, if you will of students, staff, and faculty. And, and I really started doing the work on the ground. And for me, it was like, well, doing the work in spaces where it needed to happen, not to stereotype places on a campus, but in within the athletic space, within the business community, right. within the engineering community. That's why I knew that there were a lot of issues that we need to address head on, mm-hmm. as well as in, in any space, in the sociology social justice spaces there's obviously issues as well let's not be fooling ourselves yeah but those are the spaces where i knew like it that work needed to happen more so and so i what i did was i i just started uh learning to do trainings and workshops and that extended into doing work in the larger toronto community and beyond and one of the challenges you know we could talk about this is that even today like i'm talking about 2008 this here and today um, there are still not many role models or examples that you can actually sit down with and talk to as far as men striving to be allies, men striving to do this work in a, in a meaningful, yeah. genuine way yeah. uh, to talk to men and boys. So you're kind of like on your own. You might, you might, you know, read up some of the, some of the, the, the larger figures and voices in this work, like whether it's Michael Kimmel or Byron yeah. Hurd or Jackson Katz. Um, but really even still, you're kind of like, you're kind of just figuring it out. You're obviously, learning as I did and hopefully guys are doing um, doing a lot of listening and learning from, I learned so much from indigenous women in my life mm. and Muslim women, black women, uh, women of color and women, uh, you know, uh, from the LBGT community, etc. and hearing stories and understanding these realities, but then also mixing that in with, this isn't me trying to mansplain violence against women. This is me um, talking to men and boys about, masculinity right. about male privilege about what it means to be a man and what that looks like you know and and how we can define that like we shape that how can we reshape that yeah um so that's that's how i got started and then i you know eventually organized a conference on that campus called what makes a man it was a discussion focused conference and we tried to have uh, no disrespect to academics we tried to have a spectrum of speakers so we'd have a firefighter okay. an engineering student yeah. a dancer you know, like, yeah. so how does how does manhood play out in your world? Mm. You know, like, as a dancer or as a chef or as a, you know, as a journalist, how does it play out? So we would have those kind of frank conversations, and we did that for four years. 
and uh, it grew and grew, and I eventually got to work with uh, White Ribbon in Canada. Mm-hmm. It, it's uh, informally around the world in 60 countries. There are formal versions of the organization, and there's one in the UK and in Australia. It's huge in Australia, and we I was part of the one in Canada for three to four years, and thankful for the lessons I learned from that opportunity, and uh, went to work with a group called Next Gen Men for a little while as well, mm-hmm. which is an upstart group here in Ontario who's doing tremendous work yeah, around talking well to too. men and boys. And Calgary as well, that's right, um, doing work in Calgary and Toronto, but uh, really trying to do that on the ground work in those cities, but extended throughout uh, just helping to, to have an impact everywhere around yeah. these conversations. And so that's where I'm at. Like I've been, I've been very thankful and blessed to do these conversations across the continent, traveling across Canada and the States since 2008, uh, talking to men and boys, talking to people of all genders yeah. uh, about this work. And I'm still learning. I'm still growing and learning and I'm trying to find new ways to model uh, what it can look like and learn from other people about what what these conversations can be you know you've been doing this for almost 10 years now it's it's that's that's kind of it's kind of crazy to think about eh? oh it is oh my gosh (laughs) when you started doing this at ryerson or any like this type of work trying to Mm -hmm. speak to um specific uh subsections of the university and you said you Mm -hmm. wanted to talk to the subsections like the engineering or the the sports athletics yes and um what was the uptake on that? Like, what was the feedback on that? Well, I think part of the thing with this, with these conversations is the, f- it's, it's, it's hard to have, to have a proactive conversation because sometimes people are open to it as a reactive, meaning mm. an incident happens. So we need to protect our brand, protect our reputation, do yeah, some damage control. Totally. We'll do an event, do a thing, raise some funds, and then we'll, you know, wipe our hands clean. We've done our part, but really encouraging spaces to recognize, look, this is about, we're, and, and not just those spaces too. Like I, I, I connected with Jewish, Muslim, Christian students on campus as well and attended their sessions. And because it's, it's so much of the tenant of whether you're, you're an engineering uh, community member, a lot of that is about uh, the prestige of that, that position, but also there's an honor to it. So you want to, you want to be a person of upstanding character and you want to, be part of that tradition right and like you want to be a, a positive mm-hmm. and same thing like in, in in the different faith spaces it's like um you know this is uh, being a, a person of virtue and uh being a person that's a nurturing person this is a part of any religious text and idea of what a man should be in your community an example for others a positive example so and in the business community it's like thinking about well you know if you want to grow um you know, dynamic spaces where people can be at their best and you can have an amazing dynamic team and you can be do your best as a person, like being a good teammate. So that extends to, the, not you know, fighting the kind of hyper-dominant, toxic culture of right. masculinity in those spaces and saying you can still have success, but success has doesn't have to be defined by this idea of sex and failure. Like we give it a gender, you know, where we've genderized success and failure, where success is seen as masculine, and failure is seen as feminine. Yeah. So, like, you know, to be successful, you have to be dominant, you know, savage, take control, like, you know, no holes barred. And yeah. ideas of, thankfully, so-called feminine ideas of empathy, emotional intelligence, those are starting to be um, valued within leadership spaces and, and workplace spaces. Yeah. But clearly, it's still a long way to go in the conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, so, totally. I mean, having said so my long-winded answer to that is basically it's it's meeting people halfway. I think whether it's individuals or spaces, it's meeting them halfway and saying this isn't a shame 
or blame conversation. I'm not coming into the space to tell you what to do. Like, for example, you know, like, um, I'm not coming into a Muslim space and saying your religion is this and that and totally. like upholding all these negative stereotypes. It's like, how can I, how can I encourage champions in this space to step up and say, this is a conversation we, we need to have. There are stereotypes and mis- myths about our community, but there are also conversations that we need to have, like any other community needs to have. Right. No matter your religious face, whatever your your field or career or your faculty, you know, whatever it is, we all need to talk about gender and how it plays out in our in our spaces. So yeah. it's encouraging that it's it's this isn't a conversation to run away from. This is a conversation to have, and it's like getting comfortable with the discomfort of that conversation is key. So that's, if I can say what I was trying to do is champion the cause and be a model of saying, here's what it can look like. And it's, as I come to you and I'm saying, let's talk about this. um, It's encouraging you to step up and say, we need to talk about this in our space. And in a way that's, again, you know, addressing some of the, it's scary to address some of those, those pieces, right. In a space, like for example, engineering students, they're like, Oh my God, December 6th, that's, you know, the men, some of them are like, look, like, I, we're not, we don't all hate women. It's like, okay, but also it's acknowledging in those spaces, they're very male dominant and all that stuff. So it's like, how can we turn this into a conversation that you look forward to having, where it's not about how horrible male engineering students are. It's about how we are part of redefining these ideas. You know, it's like, one of the things I encourage people to think about is what are the traditions that are handed down in your space? And what do you want them to look like? So the tradition of a campus or a high school or your organization, you know, when people think of, when people mention the name of your company or the name of your high school or the name of your college, what do they think and what do do they associate you with? And what do you want them to think or associate you with, right? So it's like, that's the language that, that's the the genuine um, intention I would bring forward for these folks. It's like, in your own way, how can we have this conversation? Modern Manhood, as you know, is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. And I just wanted to tell you that the APN has added a slew of new podcasts. A lot of them are from the Calgary region. For instance, like Girl Tries Life, where Victoria Smith interviews different inspiring women and assumptions, where an atheist and a religious person get into important discussions, or Desktop, a podcast about the intersection of technology and society. So, if you want to know more about the awesome Alberta-based podcast in the Alberta Podcast Network, check out albertapodcastnetwork.com. Well, for the listeners who um, might not know what December 6th is, um, right. December 6th is the the Montreal Massacre of um, Ecole Polytechnique, um, where um, a gentleman came in and uh, separated men and women and started shooting the women proclaiming quote-unquote that he was fighting feminism um mm-hmm. and this is where the white ruin campaign came from um mm-hmm. so i just wanted to clarify it for some people so they have a, a little bit of context yeah, of what december 6 is it's amazing some people weren't born yet he <laughs> raised it was 1989 a lot 1989 of people... i know and it's amazing and it's funny because like <laughs> that it, it's interesting for me because i came to canada in 1988 so this is kind of like wow it's okay one, it's one of those things where i was like oh this i i was not even aware of this when i was a kid um where were you when it happened do you remember it when it happened like was that something you were no i wasn't even aware okay. of this thing being a thing yeah. um yeah yeah you know until much later 
Um, right. So it's it's oh, I when when that was like what really like that many people died and it was like right, like it's it's right. it was one of those crazy things that happened to me. I'll tell you really quickly, really quickly. My story is um, I remember it like to this day. I was sitting on the living room floor. Uh, my father and I, we would, my, my dad watched a lot of like news coverage and stuff. And we would sit there in silence, like not say a word and just watch. And then we're watching TV. And at one point there was a news flash and uh, it was in the evening. It was a winter evening in 1989, December 6th. And they're showing this grainy footage, like wintry footage, like snow. And they're looking at this, this school and they're pulling bodies out of the school. And so we're all as a country, we're trying to figure out like, what is going on? So slowly the reports come out, someone has been shooting in the school and they've killed a number of people. And then it comes out, they're all women for the, you know, they're all women except for the shooter, right? And... There was utter pandemonium outside the university building as ambulances carted away the injured. Police have now confirmed 14 students dead, all women. Another dozen people were hurt, caught in a rampage that witnesses called a human hunt, with the gunman yelling, I want women. The eyewitness accounts were horrifying. I went down to the second floor, says this student. There were two people on the floor. One of them, her face was shot away. There was blood all over. Um, I remember to this day turning to my dad and saying, uh, we had very few conversations. And one of the few things I, you know, I, I remember vividly saying to him was saying, what, why is someone killing women? And he just stared at the screen in silence. Like he had no answer, no response, you know, and, um, that, that was a pivotal moment for me. Absolutely. Mm. You know, like it was one of those like memorable. And I, and I know that, you know, for, for a lot of folks who weren't born yet or are new to the country, um, you know, it's a conversation that, that, that doesn't have that for them, but yeah. also they have in their own stories around absolutely. the world, like where they're from or in their own communities, those kind of, those, those kind of, uh, holy cow moments, you know, like absolutely. what? is going on yeah, yeah absolutely and it felt and it feels very much like that that um that what happened in there on december 6th it felt very close to what, like things like what happened in orlando um or even mm-hmm. just what happened last year um mm-hmm. and with the with shooting those uh, uh muslim people down in montreal too in quebec yeah. sorry not in montreal um yeah. it's it it does hit one of those your very empathetic ways um of trying to react to this but you, you know what you mentioned you said you know we don't want to be reactive we want to be proactive yes and with yeah. that um you know there and i know that and we talked about this before but i i, I know this even before we talked about this that people do get defensive when you mention these kind of mm-hmm. things and mm-hmm. why do you think that is why do you think that that especially guys why do you think they get defensive when we like activists or um, people come up and say, you know, we need to be a part of um, things like violence against women or domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. need to, you know, shed our traditional masculinity. Um, but, you know, there's that defensive structure that comes in. Why do you think that happens? Yeah. And that silence of whether you're an individual or you, you know, are part of running an organization, you run an organization, um, all those things. Yeah. You know? I think that, I think, you know, this is, this is, an important conversation that we need to have, you know, when we talk about nowadays, like fast forward to 2017, like I, I think about how there are all these memes and, and, and running jokes about male fragility and uh, male insecurity. But this is, this is the thing. Like we, we create this idea of who we are as a man. And it's a very fragile, delicate house of cards. 
that we spend the rest of our lives trying to like protect and kind of it's very fragile so even mm -hmm. things like you know like two guys could walk up to a fast food joint and just look at a menu that they've seen a hundred times and be like you know like what are you gonna get i don't know what you're gonna get and they stare and stare and finally they, they go up to order and if the if the cashier goes is this together or separate you know that kind of initial like whoa whoa yeah, like, whoa you know, that, you know, like, no, we're not, no, like, we are that way. i work with this guy <laughs> you know, that kind of thing so it's like you know all that kind of stuff or even like you know one of the things i love to point out is like you know when a man and a woman approach a door the traditional kind of code or or script is that the man opens the door chivalry mm. and there's nothing wrong with that. i'm not we can mm. have that conversation i'm not judging for that yeah. but when two men approach a door it's very interesting right because mm. there's this unspoken it's a millisecond with this unspoken, I got it. No, 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 I got it. No, no, I'm a man. I take care of myself. No, no, I'm a man. I'm in control. I'll get my own door. You know, or I'll get, so it's this kind of like mm -hmm. tug of war of like, you first, no, after you. No, no, go ahead. And that's what that is. It's this fragility around everything that we do and our whole world tippy toes around this fragile idea of what it means to be a man. So when it comes to having the conversation, uh, turning and looking inward at ourselves, the, the, the fear is, around having a conversation about my idea of who I am, my identity. And the thing I, I try to encourage men is that this isn't a day of our reckoning. This is about yeah. the day of our awakening. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not a day of our reckoning or our, our kind of like we have these conversations because right, right now, especially more than ever, the conversations that are headlines in this country for the past few years, whether it's Jean Gomeshi or um, things happening in, in different uh, you know, different organizations and mm -hmm. a lot of people feel like, oh my God, there's this like, you know, there's this hunt and they're out to get us. And so for whatever it is, it's like, I think it's, it's in a moment for us to really step back and whether we've done stuff, whether we've had, and that could even mean like we were, we were crappy boyfriends back in the day. We were, we used toxic language. We, we were the greatest, uh, you know, when I worked at, you know, for example, like it could be my own narrative, narrative. I worked at a fast food joint and I was the manager and I was creepy to all the female employees. Mm -hmm. Like whatever that is in your head, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, Brene Brown talks about this line, own the story or the story will own you. Mm. And I think a lot of us are running away from our story. And so what happens is that the story ends up owning you. And for a lot of men, that, that shame turns into anger and, and, and defensiveness and aggressiveness and anger and rage and numbing ourselves from addressing these things. So I think what it is is, is, is you know, to, to build the bridges between us, meaning bridges between men and women, people of all genders, it starts with building the bridges within us. So with our disconnect from who we are, what we've done, disconnect from our, um, our emotional self, our hearts, you know, all this stuff. So building those bridges internally is what it's about. And for me, it's, it's thinking about, you know, it's, it's getting back to what kind of man do I want to be? Mm. You know, what are the traditions that are handed down? Who am I? And I think for me today, the, the idea of manhood needs to be around accountability, around integrity, around courage and like a real idea of strength. And for me, it's kind of getting courage as in having the courage to have these conversations, right? Yeah. I love the languages coming up now about brave spaces. Like, you know, we talk, people are now, you know, it's flipped where people, you know, are, are calling us snowflakes and saying, oh, you and your safe spaces, right? Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> but the reality is what we do need to, we do need to have spaces and yeah. people need to have spaces that are safe for them. For but sure. I, I can't promise anyone a safe space. Like, I think the reality is that that's, that's not possible because even with my best intentions, totally. I don't know if I'm, if I'm hurting or harming someone in my perspectives, you know, and um, so what, what I, the language I like now and 
there's a there's a, a speaker here in, in Ontario, Karen B.K. Chan, and Karen talks about, uh, and a lot of people talk about this too, um, brave spaces and the idea of a space to have a courageous conversation. So that means having respect, having humility, not coming in and being like, I'm tired of, I want to be able to say what I want to say in mm. political correctness, but mm. it's like meeting people halfway. Like I genuinely don't understand. And then folks meeting you halfway to have that conversation. So when people want to talk about um, the impact you've had, you as a person or you as, as, as men, like we as men owning, you know, this might not be about me directly. Like maybe, okay. Yeah. Cause guys would be like, well, I never beat up a woman. So peace. Like this isn't my yeah, problem. This is not my problem. That's, exactly. Right. So it's like, if it's not your problem, what are you doing to be part of a solution exactly. to it? Right. So it's, it's recognizing one of the things I tell guys is it's worrying less about the impression that we have on others and focusing on the impact that we leave on others, yeah. right? So worry less about the impression we have on others because it's always about demonstrating how much you own, you possess, the muscles you have, the car you drive, your income. Um, I, I win at everything or I can solve every problem or I'm always right. doing this and that. But it's more about focusing on the impact that we leave on others. How do we leave people feeling? Um, what is our reputation? And owning that. Absolutely. So before I walk into the room, and when I leave the room, what are people saying? Now, I'm not saying become paranoid and obsessed because no matter what you do, someone's not going to like what you're doing, right? Yeah. You can't please everyone. But it's kind of like to the degree I can, how can I take ownership over as much as I can um, the impact I have? And then owning it. If I do mess up, if I do make a mistake and I upset someone with integrity showing up and saying, how can I do better? Yeah. You know, how can I how can I do better? So. You know, I think right now it's it's such a tricky conversation, but we need to have it. Totally. We're being forced into this middle ground, and and we've been hiding and avoiding this elephant in the room. And I used to describe myself as an elephant hunter, right? We need to hunt the elephants in the room and have these conversations. And now we're at a point now where, you know, it's like it's it's now you need to be really in denial to say that this isn't a conversation that's affecting us as men and boys 100%. affecting everyone yes you know we yes. all need to have it i totally agree you know? and it, and it's really funny you it, it's amazing that you're saying it. it's not really funny um <laughs> the the safe space is part of it i like going going back to that like i like yesterday i i, I help out to run um a men's group um and that's i think is a safe space for guys and i think they they are and it, oh, man, I wish I could record these sessions and just to show yeah. it to people just because yeah. like how vulnerable these guys are. And these are guys who have um, committed and have admitted to commit committing some terrible stuff. But the right. stuff that, that, that they are working on and the stuff that they um, have to work on and admit to say like, I need to forgive myself. I need to forget other people. I need to forgive my parents. Yes. Been terrible. I'm like those yes. those conversations are important and they can't be done outside in the open they need to be yes in the, in it. these areas um yep. where people will don't feel judged and but also i agree with you with that part where you say you know what like i can't promise safe spaces for people i'm like yeah, absolutely i cannot promise it and then i think that mm. that whole promising of safe spaces is like i think it's a flawed concept i'm like yep. the, the the world is challenging as a <laughs> as a means 100%. so like we and and the way that we re be resilient in that challenge is mm -hmm. is just as important absolutely absolutely and that's the thing is like you know like uh, so there, there's like the way i look at it is that everyone in the world thinks there's only one way to do everything what i mean by that is 
Like, if you want to, the, the analogy I use is, if you want to get to a future, say, without violence, you need a vehicle to get there, right? And a vehicle is made of many parts. Like, I've been driving for, like, 20 years. I have no idea how a car works. I just know how to turn on the radio and, like, put gas in it, you know? But but what I understand is it's made of many parts, and each part has its own specific role. Like, you know, like a brake pad has its own role. The engine has its own role. Yeah. Um, the rearview mirror, et cetera. But they all contribute. So we have spaces where spaces that, you know, for example, women want to get together and, and as survivors talk about what they've gone through and support each other, those are powerful and necessary. And then spaces where survivors are willing to openly talk about this. This is a different space now. Yep. A space where survivors are willing to talk about what they've been through. And they encourage people who are not survivors, men who are not survivors of violence, uh, to be able to come and listen and learn, yes. respectfully listen and learn. But there also need to be spaces where men can ask the quote-unquote dumb questions exactly you know, unquote exactly. because like yes. th- in some of those spaces if you do that that's not an appropriate space mm-hmm. or people will get angry and shut you down i can't tell you how many times i've seen that where men will ask a question and get shut down mm. and it's like it's because men don't it's not about creating it's not about creating because people will say well the world's a safe space for men like oh, the world's a men's center why do you need a men's space it's not about creating a physical space but about a space between us that we can create. Like, you know, five guys in a room, that's a space. So what kind of space can it be? Again, a brave space is a space where we can have honest conversations about messing up. You know, like I, I really appreciate what you're doing and that work you're doing with these guys. And uh, I, 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 I've run similar sessions and mm. there was a guy that once said, you know, he once said, um, you know, like, how do I navigate being the perpetrator and the survivor, you uh, know, in the same yeah. body? Totally. And those are things that you can't talk about out loud. But I mean, like the taboo for survivors, it's hard to talk about it, right? But especially if you're a male survivor, and not just—I'm not even talking about sexual abuse or assault. It's just like when you've gone through shit. Yes, it's hard to talk about it because the shame of like, oh, poor you, like man up. Yeah, like you know, I've I've gone through shit. Like my buddy lost his this, that, and the third, and it's mm. like. That doesn't mean that what it's this person's been through. Yeah. Beautiful, yes. It's not a competition about who has it worse. It's about all these things are real mm. and they contribute to each other's struggle, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, for me, it's like, you know, you create that space where guys can open up and model for each other what it looks like to talk about this stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And I, and I, you know, not to, to go on and on, go on and on here, uh, but I want to give you an analogy for that that I've been using. I, yeah, I think I've told you about this before. Um, the analogy is building our empathy muscles. Mm. So what I mean by that is, you know, one of the things that many guys can relate to, not all men are physically active or work out, but a number of men, um, and people of all genders work out, obviously, but um, a lot of guys, you know, go to the gym, work out, like have a workout routine, picking a body part, today's leg day, you know, it's core day, whatever it is, right? So we're used to a physical routine of going and working those muscles. And before, like, I'm trying to get back in the gym. I, I've gained a lot of weight over the years, and so I'm trying to get back into the gym and back into a routine. And there's that initial fear of the discomfort. Everyone's going to laugh at me. You know, I'm going to walk into mm-hmm. the room, and there's guys who, like, know how to do every, mm-hmm. who know how to do all these reps and circuits and all the things and all the, you know, whatever. Right. And I'm I'm just, like, back at square one. Like, I'm even behind square one. I'm, like, square zero. And so, you know, coming into those spaces, it's about recognizing that, the, the, the quote-unquote the pain or the discomfort I'm going to feel around addressing this stuff and the shame, but also facing that, yeah, like working your legs, it's going to be, you're going to be sore 48 hours later. But recognizing that's a good pain, that's a good soreness. 
So getting comfortable with the discomfort. So with empathy muscles, it's developing empathy for yourself, empathy for others. And to do that work is to lean into something that's that's heavy, right? Uh, when you hear something that makes you uncomfortable, or we talk about we talk about vehicles, right? Like I know for me that when I'm driving and uh, the dashboard light comes on and it's like problems, like, you know, this thing light comes on, this light, I just go, I just keep driving, I didn't see that, you know, right, ignore it, ignore it, you know, we all do, right? I'm laughing because I do the same thing too. (laughs) Same thing. But I think the thing is, is like, so that discomfort, that moment of discomfort, like you say something and people are like, what's wrong with you? Or like, you know, like, well, well, you put, you say something on social media and people rightfully so call you out for being, you know, just being, just, that was a horrible thing you said. Uh, and so in that moment, it's leading into the discomfort of what happened. I need to go work that out. So you go into the gym and build your empathy muscles. You work on that issue. You work that part, and you get comfortable with working on a part. And the other thing is that you have a partner. I mean, a lot of the times you go to the gym, you're just trying to figure out how to use a machine. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And people will be telling you, you need to be a better man. You need to do this. You need to be yeah. more inclusive. Yeah, and totally. these are, the equivalent is like a guy who's worked out for 20 years and it has been working on those muscles. And you're like, uh, I don't know what a rep is. I don't know what circuits are. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what's my what, my what muscle? So it's having people to help you that you can learn from. But you're doing your own work. You're showing up to the gym. You're sweating. You're bringing your towel. You're doing that work. But then also having partners that will yeah. that you can um, work with that will spot you, right? So as you're building those muscles, having a guy that's going to spot you, or a, if if women are open to it, people of other genders working with you, doing that emotional labor work, like they're, they're willing to work with you because you're meeting them halfway with accountability and humility. They help you build those empathy muscles, right? So to me, that's that's an analogy that describes kind of where it needs to go, right? We need yeah. to get comfortable with the discomfort of this stuff and get into recognizing that it's, it's, it's okay to talk about this stuff. If we keep it all bottled up, one of the, one of the things, you know, uh, and I'll tell you more about it. I, I'm working on this, on this written piece. I've been working on it for a year and I need to just put it out into mm-hmm. the world. It's really about how men can show up when we cause hurt and harm. Mm-hmm. Like when you've, when you've been told, that you made a mistake and whether the mistake is um, you said something that was really homophobic or a lot of people think you're a creep, like you're making women uncomfortable. What do you do in that moment? How do you show up? You know? So I think, I think it's having the tools to have that conversation. And part of it is having it with each other as men, Totally. you know, like building that, those kind of bonds, man, like it's so, it's so big being able to lean on each other and not be like perform. Oh yeah, I got this. Oh, no problem. It's like, no, like actually I'm hurting. Like, I really don't know what to do here. Like, you know, like I think of in high school, like if we could go to each other and be like, man, I, you know, I just, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, yeah. or I'm in this relationship. I don't know what, what's happening or I don't know how to meet someone. And there's some people who are open to doing that. But what they'll do is they, they eventually go down this path of blaming it's women's fault, mm-hmm. right? That I'm not, you know, that women need to like, you know, it's, it's they're, they're so, they have high standards and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And not looking in the mirror and saying, what do I need to do to work on me? Exactly. Um, so there you go. Yeah, like I think that's yeah. that's a big part of this, man. Yeah, I I, I like the the empathy muscles. I and it's and it's interesting because it reminds me of another analogy from um, Killer Mike, who is uh, from yeah. the Jewels. Um, he was talking about uh, racism, um, but I think mm. it applies here. And he uh, he mentioned that you know, like if you if once you know this information, then it's like mm. it's something that you still have to do. It's like 
It's like, you know that lettuce exists. So you just yeah. eat lettuce so you can eat healthy. Like, you don't have to eat fried <laughs> chicken all the time. So that's Modern Manhood for this week. Next, we will wrap up our conversation with Jeff, in which we will delve deep into shame and how that plays into the lives of men and what we can do to reconcile with that shame. You can find Jeff Pereira on Twitter and on Instagram at Jeff Pereira. So it's just his name. So J-E-F-F-P-E-R-E-R-A. In this episode, we also talked a lot about Next Gen Men. It's an organization down in Calgary and in Toronto. I'm very jealous that they're not here in Edmonton. Um, But they're very cool. And they have done a lot of cool stuff in those communities. And you can find them at nextgenmen.ca. And if you are from Next Gen Men, you man, give me a shout because I would love to have you on the show. All episodes of Modern Manhood can be found at modernmanhood.org where you can support us on our Patreon page or you can even get some cool shirts from T-Republic. Um, I know a lot of people have already and um, thank you so much. I really appreciate it and I really hope that uh, I see you wear them. And like, if you, if you do get a shirt, tweet at me with wearing your shirt or um, send me a picture of you showing it off to people. I would love to see that. You can see both of those pages at the main site. Again, that's modernmanhood.org. And once again, Modern Manhood is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is powered by ATV. And you can find Modern Manhood on gradio.ca as well. I hope everyone has a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time on Modern Manhood.